Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey everybody, Lars Lindstrom here, Creative Income. Just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor this week, brought to you by absolutely nobody but me. Yep, that's right, just me here, uh, talking to myself in a microphone in an empty room, because we just moved to a big empty house, and we haven't got our furniture yet. So, uh, no, this is me, man. It's been a crazy week, and I'm tired, dude. We just we did a, a big move, lots of driving, lots of road tripping, and um, but... I'm bringing you the podcast because I'm dedicated to you. So this episode is brought to you by my lack of sleep at this current moment, and you're about to enjoy a podcast for free. All I ask in return is simply a review on iTunes or a share on your social media. Or talk. You know what? Actually, I'll tell you what was really cool is two people this week um, that I haven't talked to in a long time reached out to me and said, Hey, Lars, just wanted to let you know that uh, I was referred your podcast by a stri- by someone that I don't think knows you. So the word is getting out. People are talking about it in the industry, and that's all I could ever ask for, seriously. So if you're, if you're getting something out of it, we're here to share. We're here to share. We're here to talk to other people, and it's working. That's what's really cool is that you guys are actually doing it. So uh, that concludes this, this week's uh, ad, this week's sponsorship. Thank you, Lars Lindstrom, for this uh, wonderful ad. Uh, you're going to enjoy this week's episode. It's it's fun. It's casual. Uh, John Duarte, I've known for a few years now. I hired him as a photographer uh, for this Intel job, and then I took him to a pirate, like a live pirate performance show down in Orange County afterwards, and I totally forgot about it until he brought it up. So it's, it's a great episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks so much. Hey, John. Thanks so much for being here, man. I appreciate your time. Glad to be here, man. Thanks for inviting me. All right, so let's uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, my name's uh, John. I uh, I run a production company called Three Rivers Studios. Um, we shoot primarily like documentaries for companies, and we also dabble in like shooting, like inspiring individuals and kind of telling their stories as well. Um, and yeah, that's kind of been our bread and butter. And how yeah. can I interject real quick? Uh, how is their mm-hmm. bread and butter in documentary films? How's their bread and butter? Um, well, they're kind of like branded docs. So a lot okay. of what I've done is we sh- will shoot for these companies that they're either like recruiting people. And so we'll, we'll get to shoot um, like an employee story. And so a lot of times we're traveling to these random places in America and we get to um, tell the, tell their story. It's usually like this inspiring, um, cool story. And then, then it ends up at their workplace and they talk about how great and happy they are to work at this place and how lovely everyone is. And so there's a bit of, (laughs) there's a bit of this like recruiting video vibe to it. Um, but we also try to still keep it pretty like cinematic. And so it's kind of this nice little niche that I've found. And, um, yeah, We've been telling like more founder stories now too. We just did like a really cool founder story for this company called Farmer's Dog. And, you know, we shot with the Alexa Mini LF and, you know, we got real fancy with everything. And so, you know, it competes with feature film quality stuff, but they're, you know, I wouldn't say they're recruiting videos or corporate videos, but we kind of, I guess there's branded docs is kind of like the buzzword for it. Right. Yeah. 
how did you get started? Did you, how long have you been doing film? Did you always start in film or did you, I, I knew you as a photographer years ago. So I'm, I'm curious um, what your, what your creative journey has been. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been all over the place. It feels like, um, I, I started, um, in post-production that was kind of like the first job i could get we i kind of i graduated college i went to film school in the in the valley at cal state northridge and when i graduated the writer strike had hit so there wasn't a ton of work um so luckily my roommate's dad was a principal at some like private school in la and he knew somebody that got my roommate on a show and then after one season my roommate got me on as a post-production coordinator and I dabbled in doing like PA jobs and stuff. And I was like a post PA for Bruckheimer films. And yeah, so I, I started going down the post-production path and I became a post supervisor and I was doing mainly like scripted TV. And then I fell in love with the girl in New York city. And so I moved there and got into reality <laughs> during, I moved to New York city during the recession. So then there's another little uh, thing that I'll happened. And then so, yeah. Yeah. So reality was like literally the only thing I could find um, when I moved out there. I had no connections. And um, yeah, I became, I became, I started off as a post coordinator, then became a post supervisor. And I really started like kind of learning how to hire people and how to keep people happy and like create these, these amazing post teams that a lot of shows were always really jealous of. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone was like really close knit. I always like, usually people are always trying to nickel and dime people with rates. And I was always like fighting to get someone like 50 extra dollars a day and stuff like, you know, we all appreciate. Um, and I, yeah, exactly. So, so like things like that really like made people, I feel, I feel like everyone just really liked each other and made those like long hours that we're all used to really bearable. And to this day, I still like interact with so many people that, um, I worked with in post-production, but I decided to move back to LA because I hate cold weather and I love the outdoors and surfing and all that fun stuff that comes along with, yeah. um, sunny yeah, I feel like every, I feel like every other week you're in Hawaii taking pictures on, <laughs> on Instagram. It made me so yeah, jealous. Yeah. I, I, it must be just something where you just go once or twice a year and load up and then post throughout the year. Cause oh, I swear, man, the amount that it seems like you're in Hawaii just makes me so jealous. <laughs> I did. I did go through like a, I don't know, two or three year period where I was in Hawaii at least three, four times a year shooting random like lifestyle beachy stuff. But um, yeah, so so that kind of led me back to L.A. And then when I was in L.A., I was just like, you know, I don't love being in front of a computer all day. I don't love being mm-hmm. locked in rooms. I like, you know, I, I went to film school. I did I did the whole the whole thing because I wanted to be a creative and mm-hmm. I wanted to actually create my own work. And even when I was post-supervising, I was still shooting like videos. I was working with, I was doing a lot of music videos, directing music videos. I was, um, creating, like working with nonprofits and making videos with them, you know, and just kind of getting my chops in production. I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't really get my first camera, like owning my first camera until I was, I don't know, like in my mid twenties, maybe late twenties, something like that. Like, it was very, very late because, you know, I, I don't come from wealth or anything. So when I was in film yeah. school and stuff, we were always borrowing like the rich kids cameras and all that kind of stuff. Can I ask you what you're, what you were getting paid at your post-supervising job near the end there? 
Yeah, absolutely. I was making about 120K a year. So at the time it was like about $500 a day. So, so John, that's, <laughs> that's like really great money for a lot of people. Why, why would you dump that job and become a freelancer? You know, sometimes no, um, because I, I'm always, I've always been someone who just kind of thinks about the long, long term and about how, like, I know I'm just very aware of like how short life is and yeah. how you only live. And so, yeah, I, for me, money's never been like the main objective. Um, I would never have gone into filmmaking if it was, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, accountants. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, I feel like an accountant sometimes to be honest, but, um, right. I was, I always had this thing. I always wanted to be a director or a DP. Like I never wanted to be like a key grip or something on set. I would help friends do everything. And I learned every single job cause that was my personality, but I just always wanted to like kind of be in that position. Um, I think it goes back to like when I was in film school, I was just an editor for all these film projects when I first started film school and I'd get the footage back and I'd just be like, what the heck happened here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then I started shooting my own stuff and I was like, I think I'm better at this than the people that said they want to be directors. And yeah. so, yeah, um, I started photo assisting a lot. Um, and that was great because in photography, people are so obsessed with making that one still image look perfect. And so it really gave me the opportunity to learn lighting and um, think about lighting and business business in a different way. Because photographers, they have a very different business model than filmmakers. Like, they kind of are all more like small business guys. They are and women and they, they don't really rely on like the unions. They don't rely on like giant studios and they kind of, they kind of run their own shops. And I like that. And so I was like, how do I transition video in that? And so it kind of, and, and the industry is kind of going that way, I feel like. So yeah. Yeah. It's getting a little bit scrappier. Yeah. So, so I, I ended up just getting photo jobs because I felt I learned how to become a photographer basically from photo assisting and from photo assisting, I was like, wait, I can like build my photography portfolio in a fraction of the time it takes to build up a giant video and money. You know, when you leave your job, like I, you know, I was making 120 grand a year, but I was only doing that for a couple of years. So it wasn't like I had saved all my money, but you know, I was living in like a tiny little studio apartment. <laughs> and you were in New York, so it's hard to save money when you're, you know, even yeah. $120,000 doesn't go very far when you're in New York City or Los Angeles. So Yeah. And so like everything I ever bought was I was always buying a new thing for, for lighting. I was buying something to always, I was always buying assets and always like for, mm -hmm. for like future potential, like I would buy gear here and there and then like slowly the gear became more and more and I needed places to put that stuff. And yeah. And were you um, renting the gear on your shoots? Yes. And no, I, I started realizing very quickly, like I lucked out and I, I got, I, I was able to stop photo assisting because I got a client that allowed, that would basically hire me every other month and allowed me to, it was probably, and I was probably making close to what I was making with my post supervisor gig, um, just from that one client. And so wow. from that, that allowed me to say no to all the photo assistant gigs. And then all of a sudden I was putting all that money back into and that was a, a, photo, a photo gig. Yeah, it was a, it was it was an e-commerce gig and it's not a glam. It was it wasn't glamorous. We were like shooting product photography. But I had another thing I had done in New York was I had um, 
interned because at the time during the recession, there was just like, it was really hard to find work for a while. So I ended up interning, I think I was 28 and I was interning for this guy and he was, <laughs> he, he's, he's so, he's such a savvy business person. He kind of knew like what the market was and he, he brought on a bunch of interns <laughs> to help him out because he, because he <laughs> wanted to figure out video. And, um, you know, at, at first I was kind of like, oh, this little, this guy's a punk for like hiring all these free people to work for him. Yeah. But then, uh -huh. but then I, I kind of, yeah, but then I kind of, you know, he was, I, I started learning a lot from that, from him. And to this day, um, I, I'm still friends with him and Good. I didn't, I didn't stay there very long because I obviously needed to pay rent in New York city, but, um, it was really value. I was really impressed with how he ran his business and he, he always just went for it. I was like, I would see this guy get on B and H and just put things in his cart that I was just like, this is insane. Like how much does this guy make? And why? <laughs> and it was like, why is he paying me if he's buying all this shit? <laughs> but, yeah, um, right. but you know, he, he, I really, I was really impressed with like how he ran his business. I was always picking things up from all these photographers I was working with. I was always like, okay, these, the people that did survive, you know, it, it's very, I mean, everything's so oversaturated nowadays. And mm -hmm. so I was always really impressed with these people that were able to like figure it out. And, and I was always like kind of stealing whatever, whatever accounting things they did or whatever ways they had their gear. Like I was, I was always just like very much just, I would use these opportunities. Like I was working, but I was always kind of like just paying attention to the things that I think a lot of people on set don't really want to pay attention to, or mm -hmm. just kind of like listening to conversations that they would have with their clients. And I was always just trying to figure it out, you know, cause I never, I was never privy to like, I was never given any like gigs. I didn't know anyone in town. So it was always just like scrappy, scrappy, trying to figure out how to get up, like move up in the industry. And so going back to that e-commerce gig, I was able, I started going like, okay, like how do I start making money in case this ever goes away? Cause you never want to have just be reliant on one client. And so, um, so yeah, I, I was able to build up a pretty decent photo portfolio and started booking like photo jobs. And from there I had saved up enough money where I was just like, okay, what happened? Like I'm a photographer, but I, I kind of love telling stories and I decided again to kind of start over in a way. And I started making, um, a lot of videos for like the, the red cross. I was like volunteering and doing video stuff for them. And then they started hiring me to do stuff. And all of a yeah. sudden, like random people thing, I had. Yeah, let me just jump in for a second. One thing I, I, I have noticed about you in the time that I've known you is that, um, I feel like you're, you're constantly doing things for free or volunteering or on spec and in hopes of turning it into some sort of a long-term client. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, the value in doing things for free or the, the value of volunteering or spec? Yeah. I mean, you have to be careful with giving away free labor because a lot of people will take advantage of you, but yes, there is a lot of value in, you know, <laughs> screwing up when you're not getting paid, you know, like making videos <laughs> that might've not been the best quality right away. But, um, and I just feel like the, like, you know, the universe or whatever you want to call it, um, is, is, it's just really good at like, just giving back. I feel like I, whenever I do something, like I always tell people when they're like really down or their career's not going well, I'm like, dude, like you have all these skills, go, go volunteer for something that at least like worst case scenario, you might, might not make money, but you're doing something good or you're trying to help someone raise money for something. And 
I don't know, those people you meet while you're doing that, like, it's just another, it's like just opening and expanding your network of people. And mm -hmm. that stuff pays back. I, it's hard to explain, but it does. And like all the people that I had hired and gave them nice rates when they were like post, like, assistant editors and editors and like i was always trying to like give assistant and editors like editing opportunities because i just knew how hard it was for people to like get moved up you know people always wanted to keep people in their places and i never understood that like i always loved hungry people that wanted to move up and so when i gave people those opportunities like they didn't forget that and i was able to start my 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 video business because of them like all of a sudden like mm -hmm. i would get a phone call like such and such like needs this video. I just started working as an editor here and they're looking for a video person. And like, I saw on Instagram, you're doing video now. And all of a sudden, like I'm doing a Taco Bell commercial. And I was like, what the <laughs> hell? You know, but it was because like that assistant editor, I had promoted to an editor and he like, just follow me on Instagram. And he randomly was like, yo, like I just hooked you up with this job. And then all of a sudden it was, it was like the world started piecing together that way for me. And wow. everything like so far for me has been just word of mouth relationships of just, and you know, it, it's kind of scary sometimes you're like, especially right now when like, you're not really allowed to like interact with as, as many people anymore, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it, it all, it all kind of figured itself out. I was, yeah. I was fortunate enough to that job led me to working with a bunch of fortune 500 companies and all of a sudden I was making all these documentaries for them, which was what I had been doing for like the Red Cross and for a couple other nonprofits. And then I slowly kind of like, do, you, do like, you think that you, that you got those jobs because you were able to share the work that you had done for those nonprofits? A hundred percent. Yeah. Like you, they still wouldn't have hired me if I didn't have anything to show, but yeah. because, you know, because I had built a portfolio and I was always making like side, side hustle video video stuff like creative stuff i think you and i did something like with we did. a yoga person <laughs> a long uh -huh. time ago um uh -huh. but i was just always trying things you know because when you're young when you're young you're just kind of experimenting you don't i don't know you're kind of naive and you don't really know exactly what you want yet and yeah. i mean you know yeah i always you know i because i agree with you you got to be careful a little bit with your labor but i can draw a direct line from so i so i did i was doing wedding videos and i met this photographer uh, on a wedding, I think it was an engagement shoot actually, and uh, we just hit it off. We like went to lunch after the shoot, and we were just kind of hanging out. And he goes, "Hey, I don't know if you're interested, but I'm shooting this. I'm directing this music video for Mest. Mest was like one of those old, like 2000s bands, and and uh, I have zero dollars, but I'd love if you came and did Steadicam stuff on it. So I did. I went and like later that evening or something like that. Maybe it was the next day." just shot some stuff for free and it turned into a relationship and he ended up doing a feature film that I went and shot. And because of that feature film, like it basically launched my career in doing feature films. And, um, and it was a freebie, you know, that's like, that's what it came from. So I love to hear different people's experience with, with volunteering their time or their labor or their uh, talent and seeing how it directly correlates with their future career. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I remember you and I, when we were working together, I mean, it was also like, we both were doing like this low budget video thing for someone and we were just both assisting on it. And what was it? Just, Where did I meet you? I'm trying to remember. Um, should I mention names? Am I naming names? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, you can mention yeah, names. It was, um, it was a photographer who was getting into video as well. It was, his name was August Bradley. Oh, and that's right. That and yes. 
Yeah. And I had, I had met him because I took a workshop from him. Um, and so that was the other things I was doing. I was always like, just always trying to improve like skill sets, you know, always trying to improve. And so he ended up hiring me to assist when I moved back to LA after doing one of his workshop things. And then, huh. and that's how I met you. And that's why I'm on a podcast with you randomly right now. But like you got me that job, for, I think it was for Intel. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then I just remember we went out to that, <laughs> a, pirate, a pirate show or something and you did that with the client i was just like oh man lars lars knows what's up lars is going to go places because he is enjoying just having friendships with his clients and from everything i picked up that is how you that's how it works like they want to be they want clients want to be able to be around you like you can't be like yeah. a jerk like, that's, there's a, no that's, actually, that's absolutely my advice my advice to people is like go get lunch with people and the last thing you want to talk about is business. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. just say, Hey, let's go get lunch or let's, or, you know, whatever. And then you just ask questions about each other's life. You figure out what people like and you just become friends. And if you can, I know, yeah, we went to a pirate show. <laughs> it was great. I, <laughs> after we shot. Yeah. The, and it was, I mean, I was just like, man, I, I remember having that thought. I was just like, Lars is like a genius. <laughs> this guy's going to go places. At a pirate show, I was having this thought. Um, and sure enough, I, I would see you on social media and you're just like killing it on your DP inside stuff. And I was always just like, yep, like this guy, this guy just knows how to have relationships with people. And it's not, it's not necessarily like you're like plotting or anything. You're just, you're just trying to enjoy people. And yeah, um, yeah. that's kind of like the secret sauce, right? Is just kind of, enjoying people liking human beings and just trying to like do right by them. And, um, I was listening, I have been listening to every single one of your podcasts. I'm kind of a podcast like freak. I listen to things at like double and triple speed. So I get through a lot of them. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I've just been so impressed with like all the stories everyone's been having and on, and your story with your dad that was, and, and I was just like, yep, he, he knows he's figured it out. And, and it really is just all about, being a good person and treating people right. And then eventually things start lining up and just keep on trucking and trying to keep on creating. And, you know, um, I started, I, right before COVID, I started like DPing, like I got to DP my first TV show and that randomly happened because wow. a friend showed, um, a director slash like showrunner, um, like this short doc I had shot on this, it was like a personal project. And I had shot this, this documentary called swim uphill and he had seen it and he like wanted to get coffee with me. And I didn't even think it was for like a job. I think he just, I was like, Oh, that's cool. And I always say yes to that stuff, but never get too high or too low about anything. Cause you know, then you'll go crazy if you were always uh -huh. like hoping the next coffee is going to be your big break. <laughs> but it happened to be like a big break. And I ended up like getting to DP my, like, uh, my first TV show and it was totally, wow. yeah. What, what I, kind of TV I, show was it? Was it like a, uh, talk to me about the format. It, it was like a sports documentary thing where like two professional athletes from different sports get together and like train together and teach each other like little things to maybe like help them out in their training and um well, what network <laughs> yeah, was it on it was, a, it, was a quib, it was a it was a quibi show ah i'm sorry man <laughs> <laughs> so yeah as as you know quibi quibi shows are just you know a little a little underfunded to say the least uh -huh. and so um i remember i remember working i got paid for one day of work 
but I think I worked on that thing for 30 straight days, like crazy hours. And, you know, it was just because you just wanted to, wanted to, you know, make it and you wanted to do your best. And that's another thing is like, I always tell, tell people like, Hey, you, you have to like put in the extra effort. Like if you don't care about this thing, even if it like, it's not something you're passionate about, like, even if it's e-commerce, like you just got to treat it like it's your, it's your personal baby. Yeah. hundred like, percent. Yeah. Because if you don't, people are going to pick up on it. And, you know, there's so many hungry people out there that want, want more. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, I, we all know what happened to Quibi. I mean, I, I wasn't uh, making that comment because Quibi was unfunded. I was making it because they, they had to shut the studio down and, and oh, yeah. uh, move on to other ventures. So that's kind of a bummer, but um, that's great, man. So, so talk to me about your transition between, um, I'm sure you were making good money as a photographer. It sounds like you're making close to 120 grand from that one client a year. Um, and you know, I personally loved your work ethic. I loved, I actually didn't even know how much detail went into photo editing until that Intel project that I hired you on. And I was just blown away with how much detail went into like, like, can we switch the hands out for this one shot <laughs> or like, like uh, make this background just slightly darker? Or, I mean, it was just, it was so detailed and uh, I learned a lot from your work ethic and in, in that process. So were you making good money as, a, as just a photographer? Yeah, I was, I probably, you know, it's always hard to figure out how much you're making when you're owning your own company because you keep on, I, I, I think Spending you're the same way. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, cause you find that I, I started finding out that I was making more money with my equipment than my day rates. And that, yep. and that became like the, the secret sauce in like taking lower budget projects sometimes that you wouldn't take if it was just your day rate. Cause I have so many friends who just, I have camera operator friends and DP friends that they don't even own cameras. And yeah, I know. they kind of go, that's, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, what do you do when you're not getting hired? And they just don't do anything sometimes. And I'm always like, but <laughs> I, I just don't understand it either. <laughs> Cause I, if someone's not, if I'm not working and getting paid, I'm always shooting something because I find that filmmaking, photography, all of it, just being creative in general is kind of, it's like playing a sport. Like if you don't do it for a little while, you get so rusty. Um, mm. And I just feel like I always want to be shooting something. Sometimes it gets exhausting because you always have something to edit afterwards. If you're shooting it, you're not getting paid. But, um, but yeah, I just, I just feel like I always want to stay up to just stay sharp and always try to learn a new technique or I'm always reading like American cinematographer, like watching some tutorial or some something, you know, yeah. like it's just like, the game keeps changing and like, you have to like stay fresh because I've seen so many people just like, Oh, I don't like social media or I don't like this. And I'm just like, yeah, but like <laughs> you got, you got to keep going or else you're going to be that person we used to make fun of when we graduated college that like didn't know how to use a computer to edit and they called themselves editors, you know, like, yeah. Um, so at what point did you start investing in equipment and talk to me about some of the returns that you saw from that? Cause uh, obviously we know that, um, you know, this last year with COVID, everything, uh, the entertainment industry shut down a little bit. And I'm, I'm curious how you were able to weather some of those storms with uh, other sources of incomes and, and if that did work out or not. Yes. Um, so basically, I started investing in equipment when I started getting that client that kept hiring me. And I kind of I could start projecting like an actual company, like how much money I was going to be making. Mm -hmm. I started investing in things like, oh, um, like C stands. Cause I was like, I'm renting these C stands. I rent 12 C stands every, every time I shoot and they charge me like 
I don't know what it is, but four or five dollars a C stand. I started doing the math. I was like, okay, these are a purchase. Same thing with like lights and um I started like Apple boxes, like sandbags, all this like boring stuff that no one wants to own because it just takes up space when <laughs> when you have like a one bedroom apartment. And I started I started putting in like a storage unit and I started noticing that I was able to a shoot my own personal stuff because I had my own gear now. And so all my I wasn't going out like a lot of photographers, they just go outside and shoot natural light and do whatever. And like, that's great. But like sometimes you need to be able to shoot like products and studio stuff and I was able to like really figure out, out all that stuff as a photographer because I own my own stuff. And then with filmmaking, I did the same thing. I started, I had like a bought a movie. I had bought all these like non, like, I don't know, not very glamorous things that, you know, wi- like wireless monitoring and, um, yeah. you know, just. Yeah. There's just so many stuff. production companies that I, that I actually just worked with a production company yesterday who owns, um, two Alexa mini LFs and a set of, re signature primes i mean just like enormous amounts of incredibly expensive equipment but we they didn't have like wireless or monitors or any grip or electric equipment or even tripods for that matter i mean so it was just like so i had to bring on all this extra stuff but i just kind of was smiling going you why why spend four hundred thousand dollars and get and get so close but then not another ten thousand dollars and and actually make it functional and uh so I, I love that you you bought the non sexy items first, and uh, and then and then that allowed you to then kind of scale up. And do you own uh, cinema cameras or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I, I ended up buying my first cinema camera was like a, a C C three hundred, I think mm-hmm. Mark two, and then I ended up getting a C two hundred, and those were I kind of was making quite a bit of money with those, and then I ended up um, and then I finally was just like decided to buy a red Gemini and I decided to do that because I was, I knew I wanted to do more cinematic shooting. And Mm -hmm. even though I was doing documentary stuff a lot or like docu style stuff, um, I knew I wanted to do like higher in like commercial looking docu style stuff. So um, it didn't make a ton of financial sense at the time because I was making plenty of money. It wasn't like my clients were like, Hey, you're stuck. You're, you're the video. Cinematic enough. <laughs> yeah. They, they weren't saying any of that. And, and, you know, three years ago is a lot different now. Like now, now these little cameras are shooting stuff that looks very similar to like the reds and the Lexus. But yeah. um, at the time it wasn't quite there yet. So when I bought the red, you know, I, once you buy a red, you think you're buying the body, but you end up dropping another, it was like 60 K the whole package or something. It was, yeah, I'm guessing, I'm guessing like, you know, before COVID COVID kind of shut everything down. I I was DPing, I was DPing this documentary that was like being financed by Sundance and was for sure probably going to be in Sundance. And we were like, like basically interviewing every famous director who's made a documentary in the past like 10 or 20 years. And it was like the best job ever. And, um, and that got, that just got completely killed because of, um, COVID. And then I was also directing, like another long form documentary. And I was trying to, I was trying to get my toes a little wet with, seeing if I liked doing long format. Um, and do you like it? I don't know yet. I kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like shooting for a week or two straight and then being done. I, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I don't know how you, you have two kids and like a wife as well. This is a, here's a question for you. Like, how do you like justify like going to like Utah and shooting for months on end 
with two little kids at home, like for 18 hours a day and never seeing them because I just have a wife and I always feel like I'm very, I'm very protective of like my personal life because I try to keep like this. I mean, it's impossible to, as a filmmaker or a photographer to have a balance, but I try to keep a balance of like protecting my relationship with my wife and having like this healthy relationship and Mm -hmm. still, still having a career. Like how, how do you do it? Like, how do you justify it? <laughs> that's, good. that's a great question. And one that uh, we're constantly navigating, right? And and I will say that um, there are, let's say, I would say maybe six or seven months out of the year that I'm just like working nonstop. Uh, but like the last three months have been super light for me. So I've been able to stay home a lot and hang out with the family a lot. And uh, I, I am very fortunate with a wife that's very understanding. And, uh, and it would be really hard and difficult if you weren't. But I mean, like, my the the project the film that I did last year dashing in December up in Utah that was just a month that was gone just four weeks and and I will I will say that usually that's something that I could take my wife and kids to if it weren't for the quarantine thing and that was mm-hmm. it so just this last year it was like because I've done films in Utah before where I did take them with me but I like I said the last three months I've been home you know with little odd jobs commercials here and there but mm-hmm. uh, so it's feast and famine and and. Fortunately, I, I do get, I, I feel like enough time with the family right now. Nice, nice. Yeah, I feel like somehow being able to get them to travel with you at some points. Because I've always just been very aware on set at how many like older, the older, the older people like tend to have these like failed relationships or like divorces. <laughs> and I always, I always just like another, another thing I was always very aware of, like I'm, I've always been, I keep going, I keep working my ass off to get this thing. But sometimes I'm always just like, do I want to do features? Like, do I want to not be able to like surf, you know, on the weekends or go hiking or do, do fun stuff. But then also it's always just like give and take. And then sometimes people look at me like, oh, you're not passionate about this. I'm like, no, I just, (laughs) I mean, when I'm working, I love it. Like I do it hardcore, but I'm just like, is there another way? And luckily, like short format has become such a sought after thing because of all the content that people need now. And sometimes I'm like, I'm like, am I less of a person for wanting to do more short format? Like, because I, because how many people would watch? Sometimes I'm like, you know, people want to watch like 10 minute documentaries, you know, because not everyone has two hours to watch a full documentary. And sometimes you can tell a story in 10 minutes that doesn't need to be two hours. Sometimes I'm watching documentaries. I'm like, man, there's so much filler in this story. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, there's like that series doc stuff going on right now on Hulu and, and Netflix. And I kind of feel like a lot of that. I'm like, oh, man, why does this have to be a series? This could be a wonderful two hour documentary. Yeah. And but it's because they can sitting for four hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's because they could sell more, you know, sell it and get bigger budgets. If there's more content, it's all about views and, how long people are watching retention and, and yeah 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 exactly so break break down uh if i mean let me know if you're okay with this but i i'd love to know kind of what your what your rate is for labor and then what you bring on to like a typical job for as far as equipment goes these days from your production company so you started this production company and and how do you how do you price things <laughs> you sound like one of my clients right now um yeah right usually my my question what are is you gonna do for me <laughs> yeah usually my my i just kind of reverse that question to being like what's your budget because yes there's like that classic like meme <laughs> right now it's like clint eastwood and the like the good the bad and the ugly that face off you know it's just like what's your rate and then he's looking back going what's your budget and i, I just i love that <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I mean that that's kind of because everything, you know, is it something I want to do? Is it something that like I'll do for a discount? Is it you know, or is it something I really don't want to do? Like a lot mm-hmm. of times, <laughs> I've tried to like overcharge for something that I don't want to do, and of course, it always seems like I get those jobs <laughs> when I when you don't want them. You're just like, uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I'm flexible. Sometimes I charge nothing for my equipment and I just charge a day rate. And then Mm -hmm. sometimes I charge, you know, thousands of dollars for my gear. And then I charge a day day rate. It just really depends on the client's budgets. I, I I don't really know. I always try to, you know, keep a day rate of at least like a thousand to $2,000. Um, yeah. And people, people always go like, Oh, that seems like a lot. I'm like, but I'm like, yeah, right. Like the amount of, I I always count, I have this like app on my, my computer uh, on both my computers and I, and basically records the hours I work on a project. Cause I was always so curious at how much I'm actually making versus how many hours I work. And it's always like, you know, it's not, it's not absurd. Once I start calculating the hourly hourly rate of things, you're just like, Oh, you're making between 75 to $150 an hour. And it's which, like, I know, pay my plumber 125, you know, so it's exactly. like, we can, all, we can all calm down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, filmmaking and photography is just like this glorified, service industry essentially like mm-hmm. you are kind of in the same class as you know plumbing and mechanics and all that kind of stuff like i i was in i was more in like the 50 to sixty thousand dollar um a project kind of area and i'd yeah. get to take home you know i want to say like half of that usually mm-hmm. and yeah. when i say take home i mean like the production company gets a part of it and then like you know, there's so much overhead too when you actually own the production company because you're you're paying for the insurances, you're paying for just all the taxes and just yeah. Now employees too. So when are you are you hiring people out and are you able to do 1099 or is it something you have to do pay, through payroll now? I it depends on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about a year and a half ago, the California changed their laws with like contractors. So I got, had to get everything set up for payroll. Like my company's set up. So I'm, I'm an S corp and my wife and I, um, my wife's also a creative. She does like graphic design and art directing and stuff like that. So we, we basically, she's basically a part of the company because I found that like graphic designers don't have a ton of overhead, but cinematographers and directors do when it comes to buying shit. So she gets a little bit, she gets less, so basically the money she makes, um, she gets a lot more deductions because of me. Um, oh, awesome. So we kind of, we kind of set that up so that we're both underneath that and we're both employees of the production of company. The corporation. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we pay ourselves once per, once per month and we use, I use like QuickBooks Live and I used to have a bookkeeper, but now I kind of gotten savvy enough where I have it set up where I do it by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually it takes me about like a day a month to do and yeah so i have that and i'm able to bring on people as uh, either 1099s or or employees um usually they're contractors because they they own their own businesses and they're hustling the same way and trying to like do what they want to do um but yeah it doesn't close when i get bigger jobs it's usually a payroll company that is handled Mm -hmm. and that that's handled by like a production manager or something like that why did you decide to do an S corporation instead of sole proprietor or even LLC? Oh man, why did I? Um, I think because basically the the biggest benefit I found with the S corp was that as an S corp, you pay yourself 
a paycheck and it has to be a reasonable salary. And then like you can go online and try to find out what a reasonable salary is for a photographer or director or, mm-hmm. or for a graphic designer. And you have to pay yourself that. And so, but then after that, anything else you make, you don't necessarily have to pay yourself through payroll. And with payroll, you're paying payroll taxes personally. And then also the business has to pay payroll taxes on the other end. So you're getting kind of double taxed on all your money. But then the way, the reason an S Corp is awesome is after you do all that, all the money you have left over, you can take as a distribution. And then I think you only have to pay like 20% capital gains tax on your, on your money. That's right. So then all, so then all, all of a sudden you're like bringing in, you know, a lot more money and not paying as many taxes on it. And then also all the, with all the deductions you can do too, as an LLC or an S Corp, it just, it just makes more sense. I mean, it's a lot more headaches and a lot of my friends are just like, dude, I get it. But like, <laughs> I hate having to like s- stay up on top of it. But for me, it's been really, really valuable to understand how everything works and how companies run. And, um, cause who it's knows? Also a little bit more impressive banks too. That's been one thing. Cause I'm an S corporation yeah. as well. And yeah. I, and I'm able to have loans for my banks and it, it is, I think they just, they see S corporation and they go, how long you've been in business? Six years. Okay. The income's good. And it's like, there's something a little bit more, I think settling for them to, to be able to issue loans. So I, I, I've enjoyed being an S corp as well. Yeah. I, I just, you know, at first I, when I had an accountant, I, I don't even use him anymore, but he, he kind of like tricked me into being an S corp at the time. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I was definitely not now that, now that I know what I know, like I, I wasn't ready to be an S corp, but I think mm-hmm. he could just charge more. Cause you do have to pay more and like, with your tax returns are more expensive. You have to, you have to do mm-hmm. two, two different tax returns. You have to pay California like $800 a year just to yep. be able to do business. Yeah. And yeah. so there, there are a lot of fees. And then also like the city of LA likes to tax you like a bunch of money too. And like, there's, there's just a lot of, it's, it's funny. Like as you start running a business, you just are like really aware of everything that comes in and out. Um, whereas I think when you're a sole prop um, and just self-employed, you kind of just accept that a just giant chunk of money comes out of your account quarterly. And, you know, um, but yeah, I think, I think those are the biggest benefits. And yeah, like, I think like the bank loans have also like when I, I, I had bought the red, like I'm able to get a loan pretty easily. It's kind of scary how easily you can get money so from banks. Uh, but then <laughs> I'm just always just like, I don't know, like, with the with the SBA loans and stuff, the amount of money they like want to give you, you're just oh, like, I know, I know. I'm just like, so. I was like, I will take like twenty percent of that, please. <laughs> yeah, like I, I'm like, I, I've always been really like scared to get into debt. I don't know. I think it's like my parents are like immigrants, and they just are very blue collared, and they've always like just saved money, and like they're scared. They're so scared of like the market, and I can't tell you how many fights I've had with them trying to get them to like have a Roth IRA and all these other like financial vehicles that with the hell thrifty they are, they would have been way wealthier and they're now entering retirement. And I'm just like, God damn it. I wasn't able to like get them to, you know, save the way that, that they probably should have, but they were just so terrified of, of everything they don't understand with the market, you know? And now mm-hmm. on sets, um, it's funny that you have this podcast, like my, my crew is always making fun of me because I'm always trying to get them to sign up for like, Roth IRAs and mm-hmm. getting them like, okay, we're going to download acorns right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I can't, I can't tell you how many people I've just like stopped the shoot on and been like, all right, I'm going to give you a bonus. But the only reason you're going to get this though, is you have to put it in the market. And it's like, 
I don't know why okay. I have this in my brain. And I'm like, I'm going to give you like $200 right now. And, and they're always like looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm just like, but I just, I don't know. Like I just see so many of them struggling because they like refuse to learn finance. And I know it's, it's yeah, just been, so it, I honestly started this podcast because of my crew members. I mean, that, that ultimately was what it was. And I, I've been kind of stirring it in my head for a few years now, but uh, yeah, it was the exact same thing where it was just like, I, it, it made me really sad that my crew members that work harder than anyone I know felt like they were never going to be able to afford a house in Los Angeles or for a family and have kids. I mean, there's like, these are just like things that Americans should be able, especially hardworking Americans should be able to afford, you know? And so like, you have to think outside the box a little bit. And, uh, and, and a lot of people aren't willing to do the education or, or make the effort. And I just feel like a podcast format will make it a little bit simpler for them. Yeah. So I, I love, I love I, to hear that you're, you're uh, also into it. So what's, uh, what's next for the business? How do you want to scale? What, what do you see, you know, foresee in the future? That's a great question. Um, I just more grind, you know, is it grind until you die or like, (laughs) are you, are you trying to figure out ways to not just rely on your labor? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of little things and I think COVID also kind of like makes, made me very aware. Like I, I'm, I'm very aware at this point in my life where I don't want to trade my time for money. Um, and that's kind of what we do as filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to be able to shoot when I want to, but still be able to make money somehow. So, um, from all my experience with photography, I've been like writing like a a course for like product photography, um, and just kind of give out that knowledge that can make someone's career. Like, so they can get that, that client that gives them a hundred grand a year so that they can start their own business. And, um, I've kind of, I've wrote that and I still have to figure out how to shoot it. I'm not exactly like wanting to be like a YouTuber or anything like that and be in front of the camera. But, um, mm-hmm. I kind of realized it's become the necessity to kind of, uh, just yeah, be and, more... here we, and here we are on a podcast. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah, yeah. Why, you know, it's just like, yeah, I, I think everybody kind of got shook a little bit last year in, in the entertainment industry where it was like, okay, it was my entire business, like even my rentals, like which make money for me while I sleep still rely on the film industry oper- being operational. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. They're like, okay, like we're shutting everything down because of a pandemic. And it was like, whoa, like I, I was fine. And as long as the film industry kept going, but it did not. So, yeah. so yeah, so it's like, I'm doing this podcast and I don't know why, you know what I mean? But uh, I guess the idea is that you want to get other things going just in case. Yeah. Multiple streams of, of income. Like you want to make sure, like for me, I have, it, it's just funny. Like I get so many like tiny checks that kind of add up to a decent amount. Like when I was shooting a lot of photography, I would, I would do a lot of like photo tests and I would, I would ask, I would pay the model like a couple hundred dollars and like ask them to sign a release so I could use it for stock footage. And so I kind of started building up a little bit of a stock library and don't get me wrong. You're not going to like make crazy amounts of money with stock photography. But now that COVID shut a lot of stuff down, I've saw those numbers go up crazy. And all of a sudden, like, I'm like making five, $600 a month from like stock photos I shot like eight years ago. And I'm just like, yeah, everybody's, everybody's reusing stock. I just, I yeah. just did a, a commercial. Um, we shot two days on, um, and the two days that we shot will probably end up being about maybe 25% of the ad. 
And uh, and the rest, the 75% is stock footage because of that reason. They're like, we need to keep it super small and scrappy. There's a few shots that we just can't get stock. Uh, and then everything else is stock. So I can imagine yeah. the stock people are killing it right now. And so that's kind of like ignited a little bit of like an idea in my head of like, okay, like maybe, you know, during when things are, when things are kind of locked down or I'm, you know, we're not getting hired as much as we want to or as frequent, frequently, I'm like, oh, maybe I should just be shooting random stuff for video stock. And um, mm-hmm. like, I, I got a camper van and like my, my whole plan is like, oh, I'm going to find documentary stories and I'm also going to shoot a bunch of stock footage and, you know, throw it up, throw it up on sites and, you know, see what, see what happens and see if it's even viable. But like, you know, just trying different things. The same person. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, we are the same. It's like, cause I, yeah. my wife and I, you should see my, my phone right now blowing up with uh, RVs. Like I, <laughs> like we're, we're trying to buy an RV so we can kind of do the same thing. Well, I, I don't want to take any, any more of your time, John. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, I, I feel like I learned a lot from, about you and more, more than that. I, I just feel like, uh, I'm a little bit bummed. We don't hang out more. Yeah, that's, that's I, I have a giant backyard. You guys should come over. We can do a little social social uh, distancing at this point. Hey, you got it, man. You got it. All right. Well, thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Cool. Uh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Thanks, everybody, for joining me this week. Um, we will talk to you next week. I've got some pretty uh, exciting guests coming up that I'm, I can't wait to share. And once we get them locked down and, and the interviews recorded, uh, I'll start to do some promotional stuff. So in the meantime... Share away. We'll see you next week.